So we're going to pray and then read some of 1 Corinthians together. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that as we turn to your word that you would please speak. Father, please help us. We pray that you would give us alert minds, give us soft hearts, give us ready hands to go and obey what you say. Father, please teach us, we pray. Thank you that we've got this book open in front of us. It's so relevant, so real, so true. Please speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Let me start um, by reading uh, the first nine verses, um, which we're going to have a look at in a bit of detail later on. But let me read from verse one. Paul, uh, the same Paul as we were hearing about earlier. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now look, if the letter stopped there, okay, if that was all we had, you'd think, wow, Corinth, this church sounds terrific, right? Don't be fooled. From verse 10 onwards, it takes a nosedive. And let me try and give you, uh, here's a sentence um, which tries to capture something of the message of 1 Corinthians. So if you're taking notes, maybe scribble this down. I'm going to say this. I'll use this a lot in the coming weeks. Here it is. The church gets messed up when Jesus gets pushed out. The church gets messed up when Jesus gets pushed out. And I'm just going to take you on a quick little tour to give you a feel for this church in... What's it like, this church in Corinth, that that this letter was written to? It was a real church in a real place, real people gathering just like we are today. What were they like? Can we get any insight into what they're like? Well, it's a messed up church, is what they're like. Now look, hang on a second. Hear this carefully, okay? There's a difference between being messy and being messed up. Actually, being messy is pretty normal. Churches are messy places because they're full of people with frustrations and struggles. And Being messy is okay. It's okay to be a messy church. In fact, if you find a church that is slick, smooth, well-oiled, where everyone's beautiful and everyone smiles and everything's perfect, it's not real. It's an act. It's fake. It's not real. Because churches are messy places. But the church in Corinth wasn't just messy, it was messed up. They had allowed something to happen within them that had completely distorted their behavior. Some serious issues in the church. Let me just show you a few of them, just to give you a feel for it. Um, Have a look down at um, chapter 1, verse 11. 
So here's, uh, Paul says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Here is a church that has become divided. So as they gather on a Sunday, you've got the little Paul group with their Paul t-shirts and hats and the, and the Apollos group. And then there's the kind of the, P, the Cephas, the Peter group. And then there's a little group like, well, we follow Christ. And it's kind of like just all these divisions opened up within the church. It's messed up. Church isn't supposed to be like that. They're choosing their favorite preachers. There's division. Or flick over to chapter 5, verse 1. Not only is there division, there is immorality. It is actually reported, chapter 5, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. So here is a church where there is this immorality, there's serious sexual messed upness going on, and they're proud of it. So it's divided and immoral. Or, or go over to um, chapter 11, verses 20 to 22. I'm just trying to show you um, a little bit of some of what's going on. 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 20. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. This is, this is what the church in Corinth is like. This massive selfishness. The rich who just get together and say, oh, let's just indulge and get drunk and eat. Well, there's other people who can't afford anything and they're starving. Do you see this, the selfishness, the, the self-centeredness? And then as you get into chapters 12 to 14, you discover it's a church where there's just chaos in their worship services. It, their services have become more like a talent show than a worship service. They all want to show the gifts that they've got. They want to show off how great they are. Each one keen to show off their particular gift. And when one person is standing up, no one's listening because they're all itching, going, when's he going to shut up so I can have a go? My go! Divided, immoral, selfish, chaotic. Imagine that we tried that on our website. New in London? Looking for a new church? Come to, come to Globe Church. It's a divided, immoral, selfish, chaotic church. Come and join us! No, that's messed up. That's what the church in Corinth was like. Now, it might be tempting at this point to think that Paul's going to write to them and say, guys, you need to sort this out. Just stop. Stop being divided. Stop being immoral. Stop being selfish. Stop being chaotic. But Paul does, he goes deeper. Because Paul knows those are just the symptoms. But there's a much, much more serious problem. The church is messed up because they have messed up the gospel. The problem is not their messed up behavior. The problem is their messed up understanding of the message of Jesus. Because the church gets messed up when Jesus gets pushed out. 
They've made the gospel all about them. They've pushed Jesus out. It's like the ten in the bed philosophy of life. There were ten in the bed and the little one said, roll over. So they all rolled over and one fell out. It's just in Corinth, the one that fell out was Jesus, which is a bit of a problem if you're a church. They've all rolled over and Jesus has fallen out of the church. They've pushed him out because they've made the gospel all about themselves. They're so full of themselves. They are puffed up. They strut their stuff. They're like peacocks. You know peacocks? Peacocks are so arrogant, aren't they? They are just so arrogant. You know, they, there they are. Just, you know, you mind your own business having a picnic. And then it's got this loud ah noise thing that they do, which is irritating. But then they're like, suddenly they do the kind of thing. And like cover every other bird that's just trying to have its own nice day. It covers everything. It says, look at me. Look <laughs> how big my tail is. And then they flap it and they strut around like this. I hate peacocks. <laughs> I seriously, I genuinely hate peacocks. I find them most, I mean, you know, they're beautiful and all that. But they don't need to, honestly, they just strut it, don't they? Well, I, I want to suggest that the church in Corinth is a bit like a peacock. Church in Corinth loves to show off how great it is. There's a peacock tendency. Now, here's the interesting thing. They still use gospel language, right? They still use some of the words that Paul uses. But they've pushed Jesus out and redefined them to make it all about them. So, for example, here's a big overview of uh, 1 Corinthians. You ready? If you, if you want to kind of get a handle on the whole thing, this might help you. Um, chapters 1 to 4, it's about wisdom. They love talking about wisdom. Now, Paul talks about wisdom. Wisdom about the wisdom that's displayed. And they love wisdom, but they've redefined wisdom to make it about themselves. Wisdom that impresses the world. They're not interested in the wisdom displayed in Jesus. They're not interested in what the gospel says. They're, they're interested in themselves. Wisdom and power that's impressive. They want their leaders who, so that the world looks at the leaders and goes, wow, they're impressive. We want leaders who are going to be invited on Oprah, that everyone's going to say, oh, that's so wise and wonderful. Don't they say wonderful things? Because they love wisdom. But Paul says, you've got your wisdom completely wrong. You've made it all about yourselves. You, you're like the peacock who says, look how wise we are. So we're going to see in the next few weeks how Paul takes this wisdom theme and just turns it upside down. This is why our image for the series is this upside down image. Because Paul takes everything that the world thinks, turns it upside down and says, that's Jesus. So he turns upside down wisdom. And then in chapters 5 to 11, he takes the idea of freedom. And he turns freedom upside down. So he says, you use this language of freedom. So have a, just have a look with me. Uh, chapter 6. Have a look at chapter 6 and show you an example of this. Chapter 6, verse 12. Here's one of the things that they love to say. Chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. This is one of their slogans. Flick over to chapter 10, verse 23. You'll see it again. 
You don't even really need to turn over because it's exactly the same as chapter 6, so you could have stayed there. I have the right to do anything, you say. I have the right to do anything. You see, they are, they've taken this message of Jesus, which is about freedom, glorious freedom, and what they've done is they've made it all about themselves. <clears throat> I have the right to do anything. I can be sexually immoral. I can sleep with who I want to sleep with. I can do what I want because Jesus has set me free. And if you've got a problem with it, it's your problem, not mine. Do you see how they've... It's the same word. Wisdom, firstly. Freedom. So we're going to see how, how Paul takes freedom and says, now get your freedom right. There is massive freedom in Jesus. Extraordinary freedom. But you've got to understand it rightly. Not freedom that says, I have the right to do anything. So it's wisdom, it's freedom, and it's spirituality, chapters 12 to 14. And Paul, um, Paul just attacks them for this talent show mentality of church, where he says, there's all these gifts, and you, you're so proud, and everyone, you know, they're speaking in tongues, and there's prophecy, and there's you, you, you're trying to show off all the time. And Paul says, that's not spirituality. And we'll see when we get to chapters 12 to 14. We want to take a good, hard look. What does the Bible really say about the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues? What is that? How do we understand that? We're not, I don't want us to be scared of that. I want us to look at it and to think and to work it out. That's where we're going. So all the way through, here's the key, right? What Paul is doing is he's going to put Christ back in the church. He's going to constantly be saying, you've got to look at Jesus. You've got to look at Christ. You've gone wrong because you pushed him out of the bed. You've gone wrong and you've become proud because you pushed Jesus out. So come back with me to the first nine verses. Come back to the first nine verses. And what Paul does in these, just this very short introduction, he rams it full of Jesus. It's as if he kind of, he puts in as much Jesus Christ as he possibly can. He says, you've forgotten Jesus, let me remind you of Jesus. And in these first nine verses, he mentions Jesus like 11 times. As if to say, you've forgotten him, let me remind you. And let me just break, look, look at verse 4 with me, because this kind of encapsulates it. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. You are a church that has been given grace through Christ Jesus. It's all come to you through Jesus. And you pushed him out of the bed. No wonder your church is messed up. And this is going to be a book that is going to help us to put Christ at the heart of our church, at the heart of who we are as a church. It's going to challenge us. It's going to expose us where we pursue human wisdom, where we pursue that same kind of uh, freedom, I can do whatever I want, where we try and express spirituality to impress others. This is going to challenge us to put Christ back. It's all given through Christ. So let me break these verses up into three bits. Verses 1 to 3, you are only what you are because of Christ. 
You are only what you are because of Christ. Verses 4 to 7, you only have what you have because of Christ. And verses 8 to 9, you only will be what you will be because of Christ. It's all because of Christ. Everything's because of him. It's all come through him. Without him, you have nothing. Let's just break those down and look at those carefully. Verses 1 to 3, you only what you are, you are only what you are because of Christ. Paul says, that's true of me. I'm called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's who I am. I'm defined in terms of Jesus. But look how he describes the church. Do you see it? Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. What does sanctified, what does sanctified mean? That's a proper kind of bible word, isn't it? What does sanctified really mean? Well, it's the same word as holy. It's just that the word holified isn't a word. But it, it is that Sanctified means holified, made holy. Sanctified, holy. Right, okay, well, what does the word holy mean? That's another Bible word. It doesn't help us. What does the word holy mean? Right, let's, let's do a bit of work, okay? Uh, let me push you a little bit. Come on, we can do this. Um, I'm to, right, I'm going to move this a second because I'm going to put an imaginary box here. <laughs> um, right, here's an imaginary box, okay? Uh, this box is the holy box, right? Everything in this box is holy. Here is another box. This is the opposite of holy. What should we call this box? That's what you'd think. But, and I'm sorry, that was because that was slightly cheating. Um, You see, I think we tend to think there's holy, and then there's unholy, dirty, sinful, bad, blah, blah, blah. I want to show you that's not quite how the Bible puts it. And if you can understand this, it will help you to see why you are unbelievably special to God. If you've ever heard me rant about being special before, you'll know that's a very important thing that I've just said. I want to show you why you are special to God. And it isn't because of anything about you. Right. Here's here's what I want to do. What is the first thing in the Bible? You you, you probably won't know. Some of you might know the answer to this. Don't worry if you don't. It's not a test. What is the first thing in the Bible that we are told is holy? Well, for a start, God is holy, right? So God is in the holy box. He defines holiness. Holiness is godness. But what's the first thing in creation that's holy? Well, when God made the world, he made it in seven days. He made it in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rests. And then he said about the seventh day, he blessed it, and he declared it to be holy. Now, you see, at this point, there's no sin. There is nothing defiled. There's nothing unclean. It's all perfect. And yet, there is this holy day. So where do the six other days go? Which box are they in? Not in the holy box. They're in this box, which is what I want to call the common box. That is, here you've got day one. Was day one good? Yes. Day two, good, 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 holy. Do you see? There is a distinction between holy and good. Something can be good, but not holy. Why? Because holy means to be set apart 
for God, for a distinct, special, unique purpose. It's for God. These days are good, but this one's holy. These ones are common. This one is special. Do you see? Now, when human beings sinned against God, the common box all got spoiled. Everything was spoiled. Everything was spoiled by sin. But the message of the Bible is how what is spoiled is not just made good, but how it can actually be made holy. So God takes you, and I think this is where we get this wrong as Christians, possibly. So let's, let's take the story of, uh, right, here's me, okay? I am unholy. I'm a sinner. I'm unclean. I'm spoiled, right? I'm in very much over here, spoiled. What God does through Jesus is he takes me, and he doesn't just put me in this box and say, fine, you're good now. He doesn't just forgive my sin, wash me clean through Jesus and his death on the cross. He doesn't just make me good or forgiven or okay now. He says, no, that I've got a bigger plan for you. I'm going to put you in this box. You're going to be sanctified. You're going to be holy That means God did not save you to just say, listen, I'll tell you what, I'll save you, and now you're, now you're okay. God saves people. He makes people clean so that they can be holy or sanctified. So, if that went over your head, don't panic, right? It basically just means this is really, really good. When... When God says you are sanctified, what he means is I have set you apart to be mine. You're not just another blah, blah, blah day. You're the seventh day holy. You're precious. You're for me. You have a purpose to be mine. And so Paul writes to this church and he says, that's who you are. You're special to God. You belong to God. You exist for God. That's your purpose. That's why Jesus died, so that you could be sanctified. And so he says to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So now that you are holy, now you've got to live it. Come on, be the holy people that you are. That's what we're going to see in Corinth. Stop getting out of that box and living as if you live in that box. You don't live in that box. That's not your home anymore. This is your box. Get back in the box. God is holy. And through Jesus, he makes people holy. That means you are... Honestly, this is one of those times as a preacher, you just feel so... It's so frustrating not to be able to convey how precious that is that God looks at you and he says... You're my treasured, precious, holy one. That's what he thinks of you today. That's what he thinks of all who, in verse 2 says, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've called out to Jesus to save you, then you are his holy one. There's not much to boast about in that, okay? 
There's not much that we can boast about and say, oh, well, I called. Now, that's not something to be proud about. God has made you holy. So all that you are holy is because of Christ. But have a look from verse 4, okay? It's not just all that you are. It's all that you have is because of Christ. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Grace is not simply how you get started as a Christian. Grace is everything that God gives you. You have been enriched in every way. What a precious word that is. Enriched. That's a, that's a good word. I was at a zoo the other day, and they had done um, some lions. And they were telling us about that. This is the only word. Uh, you don't often hear that word, except for nuclear weapons, which isn't a good image, so we're not going to use that. And at zoos, when they talk about the enrichment that they offer the lions, they were telling us how proud they were of their enrichment program for the lions. And, and this is what they said. We, we put in a toy, a plastic toy, and we leave it there for two weeks, and then we take it out and we put a different one in so they don't get bored. I'm like, these are magnificent animals, and they live in a very small enclosure. I think enrichment is a very overstated word for what you are doing. But when the Bible says that God enriches us in every way, what it means is that God is so generous to you. He doesn't want his church to be a poor little church who's given a few little toys to play with and, oh, let's see how we get on. He says, I'm going to enrich you in every single way. I'm going to give you all that you need. I'm not going to leave you on your own. He wants his church to be enriched. I think sometimes we can imagine that God is a bit mean. But this makes it clear. All that, he, all that we have, the gifts that we have, the abilities that we have, the people that we have, that everything that we have comes to us because of Christ. Not because, not because we can be so proud. There's no room for us to say, oh, look how great we are. No, it's all been given through Christ. So any gift that you have, anything that God has given you that you're able to do, any money that God has entrusted to you, it's a gift that he's given, enriched in every way. Now again, I think we settle for a mediocre church experience. We're like, well, let's just try and be mediocre and that'll do. Rubbish. God has so much for us to enjoy and to experience and to know. Let's pursue him. Let's go after the riches that there are in Christ that he has for us. Let's not settle for being a mediocre church that just gets by. And thirdly and lastly, we're running out of time, so let me do this quickly. Um, All that you are sanctified uh, is because of Christ. All that you have enriched is because of Christ. And all that you will be is because of Christ. Have a look at verse 8. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. God will keep you to the end. He will not fail you. He will not let you down. He will not make you promises today that he can't keep in five years' time. 
He will keep you because of Christ. Because you have been brought into fellowship, into relationship with Jesus, because you are united to Christ, you will get to safety. There's a very moving story. Uh, I watched the... um, but there was this football match on yesterday. Did you see the Grenfell, the game for Grenfell football match yesterday? And they had some of the survivors from the Grenfell Tower who came and played football. And one of them had come down from the 14th floor and he had, they had a baby daughter. And he tied the baby daughter to his back with bedsheets to ensure that she got out down the stairs. Why did she get out of the building? Because she was tied to her dad. She did nothing to get out of the building. It was entirely his work. But she was united to him. And because we have fellowship with Jesus, it's exactly the same. We are tied to Christ. And on the day when Jesus returns, we will be found to be blameless. We will be right with God. We will be safe because of Jesus. Not because of us. And that is why the Corinthians, to push Christ out of the church and to turn the spotlight on themselves, is the worst thing a church could ever do. We need Christ. All we have is Christ. It is because of Christ that we are sanctified. It is because of Christ that we are enriched in every way. And it is because of Christ that we will be saved on the day when he returns. Guys, as we start our journey through 1 Corinthians, let's pray that Christ would be more and more precious to us. That we would turn the spotlight away from ourselves and towards him. That we would cling to him. That we would delight in him. That we would trust him. That we would call on him. Because all we have is Christ. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to respond um, to what we've heard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that because of Christ, we're not just forgiven, and we're not just made good. We are sanctified. We're made holy, fit for you. Father, thank you because of Christ. We are enriched in every way. You have so much that is good that you want to give to us. And because of Christ, we are safe. Father, we pray that we might be a church that clings to Christ. Father, please forgive us. We don't want to push Christ away. Help us, we pray, to be a church that is consumed with Jesus, who sees Jesus in in our desperate need of him. We ask it in his name. Amen.